0: And we're back on Fictional Frontiers. I'm your host, Sohei Bawan. Each week here on Fictional Frontiers, we cover the best in genre entertainment, film, television, games, publishing, you name it. We talk about it, we look at it, we evaluate it. <laughs> and uh, my cohort, James Nelly will be back next week. I mentioned last week we've been uh, having a difficult time with scheduling. I'm actually on vacation, so I'm actually... Uh, is it actually twice but I'm <laughs> I'm on vacation and I'm recording from a satellite studio because I definitely want to make certain that we kept the rhythm going that we didn't miss anything uh, that we were going to cover over the last uh, couple of weeks we meant to talk about a lot of these genre projects and we had this really nice uh, momentum going and I don't want to break that I want to talk about these things and when James comes back we can definitely you know, hit a lot of the topics he wants to discuss, and it's always great to hear from a veteran like James, someone who's been around for such a long time, who's been rubbing shoulders with uh, giants in the film, uh, criticism industry, I guess you could call it, like Roger Ebert, and he's been around a long time, I've been around for a while, we are somewhat jaded to a degree, but I think we do a pretty good job, I hope we do a pretty good job, In looking at a lot of the projects that we enjoy with uh, a less jaded eye. I try to keep him balanced. He tries to keep me uh, astute and looking at things with a real critical eye. So he'll be back next week, finally. I think it's been a month and a half almost. I know a lot of people have probably migrated to other places, but at the end of the day, uh, James is a critical part of this show, and I consider this to be a uh, somewhat... Uh, indirect or uh, partial extension of the fictional frontiers brand real views, right? So got to have him back, got to have him back. Last week, I was talking about pop culture entertainment as a whole and genre fans and how they're invested in so many things and how they're so tough when it comes to so many different projects and uh, how they are too invested to a degree. Well, I'm somewhat being hypocritical because I'm going to go and do a deep dive into Star Wars Obi-Wan Kenobi this week and talk about why I've been looking forward to this show, what my thoughts were about the show. I'm going to be getting into a lot of spoilers here. So if you have not watched the show at all, please, please, please do not uh, listen to this episode until it's archived or go and watch the entire show. And then I would love to hear from our listeners about my take on this series. And I've never really gone into... uh, a real deep critical analysis by myself about the Star Wars franchise as a whole. But I'm going to do that today, and uh, I'm going to piggyback on some of the things we talked about last week. But, look, there are things I love about the Star Wars franchise. There are things that I don't really care for. I grew up watching Star Wars from the very beginning. I saw the first film uh, at a very, very, very young age in the theaters, And I remember seeing Return of the Jedi in the theaters and being uh, somewhat underwhelmed but still exhilarated uh, or I was feeling a sense of exhilaration after watching that film and what happened. And then I remember when The Phantom Menace was announced, when George Lucas announced that he was going back to do the prequel saga to say, or I'm sorry, to tell Uh, The story behind the fall of Anakin Skywalker, and that first teaser trailer on Waterboy going to the theater and specifically making a beeline to the ticket counter to buy a ticket for a trailer. I know that sounds very strange today, where you know trailers are released every day. Um, You know, if there's a pop culture event, it's released simultaneously in all these different streaming services, YouTube at the forefront of all that back in the day you had to actually buy a ticket to watch a teaser trailer I know it sounds odd but that's what I did and the movie itself went to the midnight screening of that there were midnight screenings at that time now they've realized that they can make more money so the premieres have you know, started uh, if it's a weekend premiere or if it's a Friday premiere they'll start the actual premiere not at midnight but at like 7 o'clock or something like that, 7.30. So I went to see Star Wars The Phantom Menace at 7 o'clock, I'm sorry, at midnight. (laughs) Didn't feel like 7, but it was midnight at uh, the Nishamini 24 in Nishamini PA. Still remember seeing this one guy running back and forth uh, near the lines because there were all these massive lines to get into the theater. You had to buy your tickets uh, in advance. Obviously, we went there uh, weeks before, bought tickets. And you couldn't buy them online at that point. And uh, the line was out the door. It was a madhouse. People with lightsabers, Jedi robes. And this one guy had a Jar Jar Binks puppet that he had affixed to his forehead or to his hat. And he was running up and down. No one knew who Jar Jar was at that point. And those were, you know, memories I'll never forget. Uh, I remember when the fanfare. First came on the screen, and then also a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. People went crazy. And I've never experienced anything like that at a movie theater in my entire life. Not the Avengers films, nothing like that. Yes, there have been moments of uh, rapture and joy, and people have been going crazy when they've seen certain things on the silver screen, but nothing like that anticipation. And I remember being somewhat disappointed with some of the content, but still loving that film Uh, because of the Darth Maul, Qui-Gon Jinn, and Obi-Wan Kenobi battle. And uh, I remember it was... That was, I think, the strangest home drive in my entire life from a movie. Because I went to see it at Nishamini. I lived about an hour and 20 minutes away. So it was not the safest uh, condition to be driving home in, because I think I got home around 3 or 4 in the morning. But I wasn't really tired. I was in this strange... It seemed like I was driving on the moon. (laughs) Nobody was out, and I just had to process my thoughts because there was nothing to discuss online. There weren't these YouTube channels and feeds, and there was no Twitter. So you really kind of had to process things yourself. And that goes back to what I was talking about last week, that the ubiquity of content today has really changed the way we consume content and the way we evaluate content. You know, they released the... uh, second film after that, to less acclaim, but it was still enjoyable to see the transition from this young Anakin Skywalker to this teen who falls in love with Padme Amidala in Attack of the Clones. And then wrapping things up with what I consider to be the third best uh, Star Wars film ever, Star Wars Revenge of the Sith. And a very dark film. I went back and watched it last week, actually. Uh, Parts of it, most of it. And it's better than I thought, especially when you compare it to a lot of the Uh, projects we see today. I know there's a lot of CG in it, but you can feel the heart and the passion and the dedication of the storytellers here. They're really trying to tell an epic myth. And that's the one thing I I have to say about the MCU. I know people love the MCU. There's no real uh, depth to those stories. They're not myths at the highest levels and orders of our age. Star Wars is not about a place or a time, but it's about humanity as a whole and the challenges that humanity has to face. That fitrayek, which is the primordial state of the human being, what we have to overcome, thats uh, or what we have to grapple with or utilize, there's certain inherent human traits which are uh, fitrayek, meaning you know primordial in the Arabic language. It taps into all of that. And it's questions about... Uh, Power, sacrifice, temptation, uh, greed, avarice, nobility, lots of very, very important themes that we really don't address in any uh, way in pop culture as a whole. It's more about disposable income, it's more about uh, disposable entertainment too, and it's less about uh, making the world, or not necessarily making the world a better place, but addressing the world in a way that you elevate everything around you and how you do that. Uh, George Lucas really tapped into and looked into a lot of Islamic theology when he was making those films, and you can see that in the work. You can see these uh, notions of good and evil and what can lead someone astray and what can elevate someone. And those stories were all about elevation, but the challenge of elevation is always, always... uh, Something that is not easy to overcome at all. It's it's a it's a bear. It's a beast, and you can fall. You can definitely fall if you give in to your lower self, um, and there are internal and external demons who are trying to pull you down. So that's Star Wars, right? That's what really pulled me into Star Wars. All of these uh, very, very, very. Uh, essential elements of the human experience that it was trying to address and this notion that there is an unseen reality to existence. Um, there's, there's truth. There's uh, the unseen world. And from that, George was able to create or produce this world uh, that other people were able to play in. He, he really uh, set the stage for a lot of this. And uh, that's what's strong storytelling. That's storytelling that stands the test of time. You could make the argument that Stan Lee did the same thing to a degree with the Marvel comic book series. Uh, They were really trying to address things at a very grassroots level. Uh, Again, tying into that notion of fitraic or primordial state of the human being, uh, certain questions of, of life and this notion of suffering and how one is elevated by overcoming suffering. That's a lot of what's in... a the Marvel stories as a whole. And I think that Marvel creators, I'm not saying they've lost that. And I think they, they're more about the sound and fury. Uh, But the sound and fury is signifying less and less. I'm not saying it's signifying nothing, but it's definitely signifying less. And we've seen that with all these films. I think WandaVision was probably the closest that came to really addressing uh, certain themes tied to loss and coming to grips with loss and what, power when it's presented to someone uh, what it does to someone who is going through loss what would happen if they had the ability to exercise or uh, take advantage of certain situations because of their power but that becomes perverted and they are misled through uh, the application of their power because they're suffering that's one of the things that you see in WandaVision some of the other shows they do have some you know things that the characters have to overcome, their you know day-to-day challenges of life, and I'm not trying to minimize those, but the thing about Star Wars is that regardless of wherever you are, for the most part, you could kind of relate to a lot of the mythological underpinnings, a lot of the uh, existential questions that it was trying to address. And that leads me to Obi-Wan Kenobi. Now, here's where we get into spoilers. So, if you're not interested in hearing anything about Star Wars Obi-Wan Kenobi... Uh, listen to this episode later. (laughs) Uh, if you're, uh, keen, uh, if you're cool with this, if you're, uh, inclined to want to listen to what I have to say about this, someone who's been a long time, uh, I don't say fan, but someone who's enjoyed these projects for a very long time and has thought about them maybe way too much, but if you're interested, stick around because I think we're going to be talking about things that, uh, will actually add hopefully to the enjoyment of the project and i'm going to stay away from more of the uh, criticism about that project and that's for james and other people i'm going to get to the heart of why i thought star wars obi-wan kenobi was one of the uh, most interesting and uh, satisfying series for me in a very very long time and the way i compared star wars obi-wan kenobi Uh, To or the the comparison I made uh, when I was talking about uh, with other people was this notion that it was kind of akin to flying to Hawaii or a beautiful location, and the weather is really bad. There's a lot of turbulence. There are moments of calm, and you're okay, and you're enjoying it, but then within seconds, it's really, really shaky. And it's a very, very unpleasant journey. (laughs) Uh, It's ups and downs. It's uh, lefts and rights. And, you know, you're wondering, you're asking yourself uh, whether or not it was the right choice. Uh, You shouldn't be asking yourself that. You've already made the decision. You need to embrace it and move on. But you're like, okay, should I turn the ship around and go back home? But then once you make your way through the clouds and you land on that island, you realize the journey was worth it. And that's the way I feel about you know Star Wars Obi-Wan Kenobi. I feel like the journey was definitely worth it. And why was it worth it for me? You know I'm older. I know that Star Wars is for kids. And so the other thing that George made certain to include in his films was uh, a lot of adventure and excitement. He wanted to include those elements in his stories he knew these were action heavy films there needed to be these action centric pieces you know kids want fun adults want fun but kids are more about the the adventures and the you know swashbuckling and those types of things that's what they want for older viewers it's more about what's on the inside versus what's on the outside and for me the thing that really uh, stands out in my mind with respect to Star Wars Revenge of the Sith is that last scene or one of the last scenes when Obi-Wan Kenobi slashes Anakin Skywalker across the legs and the arm cutting both his legs off uh, cutting his arm off uh, his other arm the other arm uh, he lost uh, when it was cut off by Count Dooku so he's limbless lying there on the "Quote unquote shore of Mustafar burning to death. It's a volcanic planet, and he's literally burning. It's it's so symbolic of uh, hell, uh, Jahannam, if you will. I don't want to say Jahannam, but it's it's definitely symbolic of uh, the pain that comes from uh, being away from the light. And he's literally be, he's literally burning. He's literally being consumed by the flames. And Obi-Wan yelling down to Obi-Obi-Wan yelling down to Anakin when he's seeing him burning there. You were the chosen one. It was said that you would destroy the Sith. Excuse me, I'm going to get this right. He says, "You are the chosen one." He yells at Anakin. "It was said that you would destroy the Sith, the villains in this, not join them. Bring balance to the Force, not leave it in darkness." And then Anakin yells back, "I hate you." And then Obi-Wan says to him, I loved you. And you see this overwhelming sense of guilt. Earlier, when he and Anakin are fighting, he says to him, I failed you, Anakin, I have failed you. And so at the end of that film, you see a broken uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi who decides to protect Luke Skywalker, the future of the Jedi Order. Leia is with Bail Organa on the planet of Alderaan. The sister and brother are separated. Luke and Leia are brother and sister. Leia is on um, Alderaan with Bail Organa, and Luke Skywalker is being raised by Owen Lars and Brew his wife on Tatooine, the home of Anakin Skywalker. Because obviously, the place that someone would least likely look is the place that you would think is the most dangerous place in the galaxy for a child to be raised, uh, the home of Anakin Skywalker. No one would ever go back there. He would never go back there. He probably would never want to go back there because of what he went through before. And so Obi-Wan says that he will, you know, look after the boy. He'll be that helicopter parent, so to speak. And that's how the movie ends. And so we don't see Vader and Obi-Wan reconnect until Star Wars A New Hope. And they have that epic... Classic battle on the Death Star, in which Obi Wan Kenobi allows himself to be slashed, and he vanishes and becomes a spectral being that cannot be harmed by Darth Vader and or the Emperor anymore. But he can still guide Luke. So he actually does become more powerful because they can't use physical harm against him, and they can't do anything to make him suffer in a way that Luke might be forced to try to save him and what have you. So. You know, a lot of fans were like, okay, we don't need to see anything else. We know what happened. Uh, Obi-Wan confronts Vader in A New Hope and says, Darth, he doesn't call him Anakin. And Vader says to him, when I left you, I was but the learner. Now I am the master. And so what Lucasfilm decided to do, because Ewan McGregor's performance was very much loved. I loved him in the prequel trilogy. I thought he was fantastic. And I just felt that he was the best Obi-Wan Kenobi, with all due respect to Sir Alec Guinness. When I think of Obi-Wan Kenobi, I think of Ewan McGregor. Uh, James Arnold Taylor did a lot uh, to help me uh, lean in that direction as well with his uh, voice acting performance in Star Wars The Clone Wars. So it's that iteration. I guess it's the prequel iteration that's my favorite iteration of the character. So they decided to make a series uh, that addressed what happened in between A New Hope some of what happened between A New Hope and Revenge of the Sith. And so what we see when the series starts is that about 10 years have passed, and Obi-Wan Kenobi is living in this abandoned cave. He's a broken man. Uh, he's still overlooking, uh, or he's you know making certain that Luke Skywalker is doing okay. He's overseeing things, if you will, uh, from a distance, even though Owen Lars doesn't want Obi-Wan anywhere near him because of what happened to Anakin Skywalker. But when we start, we realize that Obi-Wan is broken because not only did he lose his entire family, the Jedi, not only did the galaxy fall under the fist of this tyrannical ruler known as Emperor Palpatine, he lost his best friend in Anakin Skywalker, and he failed in training him. He actually feels that it was his fault that Anakin fell because of him. So he's lost everything. So he's lost confidence in himself. And I can tell you from personal experience with family members who have maybe made a wrong decision when they were watching over somebody else, even a medical decision. Sometimes people will go to a doctor and they'll talk to someone they know and say, what should I do? Should I have this procedure or not? And then something bad happens. And then that other person who made the decision or uh, the person that gave them the advice, I should say, they say, you know what? Uh, I don't know why I did that. And they feel broken, even though it wasn't their fault. Uh, maybe if something goes wrong during the procedure, but they feel that they are to blame for anything that happens later. And so what this series does is it shows Obi-Wan Kenobi addressing this by him having to shake himself out of these doldrums when Leia is placed in danger. Now, I'm sure a lot of you are going to be watching the show, so I won't go into too much, but uh, suffice to say there are you know adventures and uh, detours and the like because uh, the sith actually the inquisitors a group known as the inquisitors who were former jedi now recruited by darth vader and the emperor to hunt down uh, jedi are on the hunt for obi-wan kenobi and they think by capturing leia because she's the daughter of an old friend of obi-wan kenobi's bail organa that they might be able to pull him out of hiding at least that's what vader thinks and so that's what the series is pretty much about Uh, the Inquisitors using Leia, capturing, kidnapping a young Leia who's about 10 years old, to serve as a hostage that will draw Obi-Wan Kenobi out of hiding because they never were able to find him, so they assume that he might still be alive out there. Vader wants his revenge for what happened on Mustafar. During the course of the series, Obi-Wan Kenobi learns that Anakin Skywalker has now become Darth Vader. And... They confront each other one time, and Obi-Wan does a really, really poor job against Vader because he's just not the same. He's a broken man. But through the course of the series, and you'll enjoy it if you watch it, you see Obi-Wan gaining his confidence back because of his having to take on a, you know, a huge responsibility in trying to save Leia and also eventually to protect Luke Skywalker. He has to wake himself, out, wake himself up out of these doldrums. But the thing that's amazing about this series is the last episode. For me, it's one of the, uh, it has one of the most powerful moments in the history of Star Wars. Vader and Obi Wan confront each other one more time, and there is a scene in that last episode, and I won't go into the details because I think it's worth having, you go back and watch it for yourself. If you've already seen it, you can watch it again, but there's some dialogue between Obi Wan Kenobi and Darth Vader, AKA Anakin Skywalker, or maybe not Anakin Skywalker anymore, that addresses Obi-Wan Kenobi's uh, belief that he failed Anakin. And then also adding layers to that relationship and planting the seeds of hope in the future when Luke Skywalker eventually does save his father. There is a scene there, um, uh, I really want to tell you what it is, but and I know we were talking about spoilers here, and I guess I can kind of say there's a scene where uh, Obi-Wan slashes Darth Vader's mask, and something happens. I'll just leave it at that. I'm not going to go any further, because again, there may be some people who didn't heed my advice, and they're still on the air. <laughs> uh, and if you've already seen it, you can go and watch it again uh, at a variety of different places. It's already on YouTube. By the time you... Uh, Uh, watch, or I'm sorry, listen to this segment, you're going to find on YouTube again. It's everywhere. My point is, is that that's how you create grand myth. You take a concept, an idea about, um, you take a concept or an idea, a challenge um, about something in the human experience. And you address it from one angle and you do it in a way that is very, very, relatable even though it doesn't directly involve something that we're familiar with we're not in the world of star wars we are in 2022 on planet earth and we're dealing with a whole host of issues doesn't matter about your political stance doesn't matter what your um, ethnicity is there are certain things that you are going to have to deal with and this show addresses those things i'm sorry these this series addresses those things but this show also does as well by addressing another side of that conundrum and that's what grand myth is all about it's about taking a concept or an idea addressing that idea asking the right questions and then giving you possible food for thought if not outright answers to those questions now you can make the argument that these things are subjective but if i had to sum up what star wars obi-wan kenobi is all about it's about taking responsibility for one's actions and that resonated so strongly with me because i think in this day and age so many people don't want to take accountability for their actions Uh, they don't want to recognize their own failings and it's it's a very egocentric time if you have a deficiency in one area it's almost a badge of honor it's almost great to uh, mention that to other people. Look, I have this. I'm have, I'm failing in this area. It's 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 actually not something that should be addressed and improved upon. That's one thing. But then also, when a person makes a mistake, it's great to forgive. Um, that's that's a laudable trait. But it really is also very noble to recognize when you've made a mistake and say, you know what, I need to improve. I need to do something about that. So that's what I wanted to say with respect to the series that yes, it had a lot of bumps on the road. Uh, We got to this destination and the destination was for me taking that core relationship between Anakin and Obi-Wan, which has so many layers, but it's ultimately about uh, power. It's about mentorship. It's about uh, sacrifice. It's about, acknowledgement of deficiencies, but it's also about accountability and taking responsibility. And if you can get that of a story, I'll take that a million times over, uh, Captain America swinging me only around. I tell, I tell you that right now, I will take that kind of concept or that kind of thematic element, even if it's not done in the most incredible fashions. And there is a great fight between Obi-Wan and Darth Vader in the last episode. Um, I'll take that any day. And one last point, there's a cameo at the end of this. If you've not turned off your radio, please do it right now. Liam Neeson comes back as Qui-Gon Jinn, and it's such a wonderful, brief, brief uh, cameo. And it shows you what a stupendous, tremendous actor Liam Neeson is, that he can pull off something so wonderful within uh, 10, 20, 15 seconds, 35 seconds, so. Well, listen, you've been listening to Fictional Frontiers. We will catch you all next week when James returns. That's my overview. A little bit different about Star Wars, Obi-Wan Kenobi, but that's why I dig this stuff.